You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we're taking a dive into the commercial real estate market for the first time in months, really. We've spoken a lot about planning, holistically the market in Perth right now, a lot of market analysis focusing a lot on the residential space, but it's been a while since we've had a real look at the commercial space. And given the fact that cap rates have been a little less obvious these days across the subsectors in commercial, industrial spaces, I thought it'd be a really pertinent time to have a conversation with a leading light in this industry, someone who is absolutely blazing a trail for ladies in the commercial space and real estate in WA and we'll explain how and why having this conversation is Tori Packer of Signet West, a well-known name in WA commercial space these days and got you in for a conversation. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, mate. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very impressed by the work you've been doing and putting this podcast together and the continuity you've had with it and the calibre of people that you've had on here. So thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Tori. Firstly, I'd like to chat about you for a second, like we do with a lot of our guests. As I mentioned just before, you've got a fairly unique story in this industry and it probably shouldn't be unique really, but it very much is in your pathway and that I honestly can't think, and this is a blight on the industry, of another female in the commercial agent space in Western Australia. Not only are you the only one I can think of, you're also one of the most highly regarded these days. How did you get to that point? Why is that a statistic we're talking about in that space? Give us a bit of a story, if you can, from when you've come out of uni. I did a law and commerce degree at UWA, and it was one of the ones that you do when you're not really sure what you want to do, but might as well make the most of of tertiary education. And so I went down that path, but then at the same time, I, I got a job at Collier's instead of a almost graduate type position working across all different parts of the company and that was when I was 18 so my degree full-time at UWA was six years and I worked part-time at Collier's for six years and I worked across the company so bit of weekend cash at that point you pretty much yeah, yeah it was kind of like a, oh I'll work throughout the university term and then I'll try and save up and at the half year go away or something and then yeah, blow it all yeah, blow it all come and back. come back and yeah. start again you know it, was, it actually worked out really well for me yeah. uh, ultimately the, the the main thing for me was getting that experience and that foot in the door with a company that has such a diverse range of roles and personalities and people that fill those roles. So I did really enjoy working there and getting a feel for an industry and in practice rather than in theory. I think I learned so much that I was like, oh, it kind of made me discover the property industry. How did you get in that space in the first place? I have to admit that when I was 18, whilst I clearly have a mind that's suited for property and business and those sort of things, I wasn't thinking property at 18, even though I was essentially in the same courses as you in the same university. It wasn't on my radar to think about the property industry. I really only knew at that age of the only job was to be a, a slimy sales agent in a residential <laughs> space, right? I didn't even know the rest of it existed. Did you have any influences? Did you have any tap on the shoulder or you know parents or anything like that, that said, hey, give that a crack? Yeah, so certainly my dad was in the property industry. He had also been a lawyer that had then moved into property. With my uncle, they had invested in properties over the years. It was really his relationship with Colliers as his managing agent that introduced me to them in the first place. Uh, and to be honest, it was an industry I wouldn't have otherwise, I don't think, discovered. Certainly as part of my education, 
both secondary and tertiary, I hadn't come across property in, in much of a, you know, They're not focus. putting the brochure on the desk, are they? Not really. And I think I mean, you and I recently caught up at the Meet the Leaders event for the Property Education Foundation. And I think my involvement in that committee for the Property Education Foundation was really off the back of that lack of exposure that I would have had to property. I think it's such a great industry. It's really well suited to so many different personality types. And I probably wouldn't have come across it if it weren't for having a connection there. Mm. And so we've been, as you are as well, out to universities, just sort of spreading the word that this is such a great industry. You, you should really give it a shot. And there's so many different jobs as well. You know, when so you think about many. it, it's not just that sales agent in the residential space. And I guess this is a conversation that I hope people at the university level are mm. listening to today as well, is that it's, it's not just that. There's property management, there's settlements, there's broking, there's valuations, there's building inspections, property law, obviously planning, development management. I just they genuinely weren't jobs I knew existed exactly uh, back back when I was at university couldn't agree more and I think even within my company being a full service agency with valuations leasing sales management everything across the board and then also across asset classes office retail industrial I think you can then see all the different personality types that fit into those roles and why someone is well suited to one but perhaps not another it was great to get in there and see how it all worked and then identify somewhere in the company that I wanted to work so what I did was I spoke with all of the directors of the company at the time that I finished my uni degree. I asked everyone what they thought was best suited, what they thought would be a great role for me. And to be honest, I did get a lot of that, oh, maybe you should do residential or maybe just don't stay in the commercial yeah, agency world. Where all the girls yeah, are, right? yeah, exactly. And it was kind of, I remember one of them actually said, we don't treat women well in this industry. You should try something different. Something in safer. Yeah. yeah, which was really interesting to hear. But then in saying that at the time, uh, our CEO of the company, Imran, he was like, I think we're really ready for a woman in this role and he was really encouraging and gave me every opportunity. So that was when I moved into the sales team. I think I was probably the first woman to do the job in the company. Certainly I was at that time, across the industry at the time, yeah. So why do you think it is a, a case that very few others in this state in the commercial agent space is it simply the old case where well, it's just not a job that most females are interested in or they're certainly not given the opportunities or they're not aware of it? You've had a many years to, I guess, experience it up to today. Have you got a, an idea as to what it is that makes you a very unique and rare breed? I think there's certainly elements to the commercial agency role that you really do need to tick a few boxes in terms of having the hunger and the drive motivation in that sense but then also a fair bit of aggression not that I'm an aggressive person (laughs) but definitely can be um, strong in my views and in order to sort of get results I think you definitely need to have a a level of aggression that some might have not been characteristic of of some women in the industry but I don't like to generalize too much I think it was always something at the time as well there was a lot of a a bit of a boys club Mm. I think that there was a lot of private ownership and a lot of CEOs of of investing groups were male and of a certain demographic that there wasn't really a lot of encouragement for women to get involved into into that dynamic, which we see across the board Mm. in all industries. But certainly there's been a lot of development recently, which is is great to see. It just seems like the residential market 
and that, this is where the it's quite ironic really is you see just as many females i think as men these days in this residential sales space certainly property management is well dominated by, by females yeah uh, but in the sales space it's probably 50 50 these days and just as many if you would term aggressive real estate agents or agents who really push the boundaries and and have that ambition and go get them and ability to be in awkward negotiation conversations as men and somewhat better a yeah, lot of the time agreed. too. So I guess I find it interesting how it hasn't translated in the commercial space, but for the fact that maybe it's just not as an accessible space to start a career. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, maybe there just isn't that awareness as well of that role. And the asset class as well. I mean, everyone can understand a home and a yeah. house. Commercial it's next level. I don't think it's disputed that selling commercial assets, there is a higher threshold to get in. You have It's not just understanding where the kids can put their beds. There are far more complex metrics when it comes to valuing these properties and far more complex conversations had between the buyer and the seller in those transactions. You can't just walk off the street and become a commercial agent, can you? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. You've really got to understand, you know, microeconomic factors, macroeconomic factors, property specific, everything sort of all metrics and intricacies. There's a lot to get head around. And I think certainly a lot of people come in on a valuations background and they have a really good understanding of every sort of feature that makes up the, the property and that value. It's a good basis for understanding it's not sort of the natural segue to go from valuations into sales because they're again quite different personality types yeah very much uh, more risk averse arm's length role and it's probably those valuers that aren't as risk averse that want to create things or be a part of bigger things that end up in either development management or in commercial sales i think those are the alternative pathways for valuers that just don't find fulfillment in that role over time what i would say is congratulations on blazing that trail it's it's not often you find someone being so unique in an industry but hopefully you aren't so unique going into the future hopefully you're (laughs) a great example for those young people to actually have a crack yeah i really hope that we've certainly got more girls coming into the team across different asset classes so industrial leasing we've got some really uh, management as well we've got such a great group of girls in the company and it's great to have everyone on board everyone's really hungry i look forward to what the industry will be like in the future with a lot more of that demographic changing let's talk shop you're a specialist in that office retail development space you've got some pretty notable transactions on your resume over the last few years can we first have a chat about more broadly the market in western australia I guess we'll start with the office space. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on the experience, the story we've had maybe since pre-COVID and how it's run through there? Office is a bit of an interesting one. At the moment, since COVID hit, there's been so much of that conversation around working from home and that's had a big impact on the office market. And for Perth, it was a little bit isolated from that. We didn't have a lot of time at home and certainly could see that working from home doesn't necessarily work for a lot of companies. But in saying that, there's still been, for us in WA, a lot of really strong positive demand for office space. We've seen some bigger transactions happening. We saw properties and pathways pick up that rather large building. 503 Murray Street. On Murray Street only recently, right? That doesn't happen. And I mean, these guys are sophisticated guys. Mm. That doesn't happen unless there's a bit of confidence that the market's currently a little bit undervalued. Maybe it is based on that perception or that perceived risk of what working from home may do to the asset class. 
Yeah. What do you think about that perceived risk? I'm a big believer in the office, not just because I'm a stakeholder in the industry, but at the same time, I've, I love going to the office. It's just one of the highlights, I think, for me of, of our company and our culture is, is every day spent with a lot of fun other people all together and, and enjoying themselves. I actually recently, just during COVID, I moved over and spent some time in Melbourne, but I kept my job. My company gave me the opportunity to continue working where I was. And I was working from home when I was over there. And you just don't have that same stimulation. You don't challenge yourself as much. You don't grow. And obviously, I'm speaking broadly, but for me personally, I found that I really missed the office and it's harder to develop people and keep people together because you're lacking that office space and what well, we're seeing it in the statistics it's very clear it's a fact West Australia is leading the way in that return to the office obviously which then spills out into the productivity the performance of the retail space on the ground floor often in the CBD right yeah, absolutely. We've had eight consecutive quarters of positive absorption in office. So it's a really strong story. Our vacancy has stayed where it is, but we've had new supply come on. And that's been the reason for our vacancy sort of staying up where it is. But in saying that, it's been a very positive story. We've got a lot of tenant demand. And I think that should be the main thing that we're, we're focusing on, seeing businesses grow. We've got economic growth, unemployment growth, population growth, and that's all helping to grow the office space in WA. Some people may not know that it's split up into different grades, I guess, right? You've got your, your sort of premium grade stuff where it's better than your house. You'd rather be in the office, obviously. <laughs> and then it moves down to you know, those different levels, B, C, D, where there wouldn't be lifts and you have to walk up you know, into the office that might be 30, 40, 50 years old. And you know, it's, it's slightly renovated. It's just not a premium space. The story that I understand about the office space is that tenants have consolidated given the vacancy, moved up the ranks. That flight to quality. Right. Yeah, we Can see you talk that about that for us a little bit? You definitely do see that in our office space in Perth. Our vacancy hit 0%, so it really didn't matter what office space you were putting up for your tenants. You were able to find someone that wanted to be in that space. It's hard to remember a time like that. Exactly. I guess it's like the industrial space right now. Yeah, exactly. What we saw was a lot of private ownership get into investing in the CBD uh, in some of these properties and they never really had to invest into the building in order to get tenants. So a lot of the office space sort of went from bad to comparably worse when we had a lot of supply come on after that vacancy dipped so low. And with a contraction of demand at the same time as an increase in supply, it just meant that our vacancy shot up to sort of, you know, mid-20s. And it did mean that there was a lot more interest from tenants to move to to quality space for pay less for something better. The way I've seen it characterised is those guys who are probably sitting on the fringes in West Perth paying a little bit less have gone, you know what, we can pay the same and get in the CBD now or you know, moving in and out of Subiaco or Leaderville and these spaces, simply a bit of an arbitrage in their eyes going, well, look, we've got the money. We may as well get somewhere nicer out of yeah. it. I guess that leads to an obligation to those guys with the BC grade stuff to finally spend some cash. Yeah, certainly having to invest a lot more in their property, provide end of trip facilities, put spec fit outs in in order to attract tenants. Yes, we're seeing companies come in from the suburbs if that's better for their brand to be on the terrace, for example. But we're also seeing some companies head out to the suburbs as well, which is interesting to see because they get those parking ratios. 
And since COVID, we're probably seeing that there's more companies that are chasing that parking for their staff. Let's talk about parking for a second. About three weeks ago, we had Mark Jaisman from JetCharge on. He's running the rollout of the EV network across Western Australia. And we had a conversation in the apartment space specifically about how the provision of EV charging is going to be something that sets values apart in Western Australia in the residential space. And we touched on, I guess, the office space as well as to how most people will eventually be charging at work. Has that started to become a conversation in Western Australia with more that maybe, I guess, the premium offices and tenants about whether the facilities are available? Yeah, absolutely. We're even seeing tenant briefs come out of the market and they're like at least two electric vehicle charging stations are desirable for that tenant brief in an office building. So our facilities management team have recently gone out to building owners and go, we can actually incorporate all of these charging stations into your car park do a full assessment and then and then deliver that so that they're able to compete with those and put forward those tenant briefs i think that's going to be a big move over the next few years building owners pricing in the cost of having to upgrade retrofit their buildings into the rent that they're asking and that happening sort of organically as the tenant market starts to demand it. I think that's just going to become a standard. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we're seeing when these premium grade buildings are being delivered, like newer buildings that are coming to the market, they will offer this. And so then the older stock again will will need to lift their game. Tell us about London House. That's a commercial asset that I think you don't have to even be a property professional to know what that is. Tell us a story. Yeah, that was a great campaign to work on on behalf of Hawaiians. So about a year ago now, we took that to market just as interest rates were starting to climb. So we ran a campaign. It's obviously an established building that everyone knows really well, but there was still an opportunity to add a lot of value to it by refurbishing a lot of the floors. And although it's it already delivered pretty high quality facilities and plenty of space there for tenants. Some of the floors had been refurbished and then some of them hadn't. And that's something that tends to happen in a building because if you've got a tenant in place for 10 years, you don't need to refurbish their space mm. unless, of course, there's a discussion there it's and an negotiation. Thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, but then if you have a vacancy, you might upgrade that lift lobby and then make sure that floor looks great so that you can attract a new tenant. So it just meant that there was a bit of a combination of some floors that were redone and some that were pretty dated. And so it meant that a, an investor could get in and, and roll up their sleeves and add a bit of value to that building and then push those rent. So it was one that we saw a really diverse range of investors, whether it was Perth or East Coast groups, some from Melbourne, some from Sydney. Some of them were syndicators and fund managers. Some of them were high net worth. And in the end, it was high net worth that ended up buying the property. They plan to do an overhaul of the building. They've already kicked off and I think they're really happy with the way that's progressing. And how was that valued? Where did it sit in terms of cap rates? And I guess it sits across a number of tenancies. Can you explain to the listenership, especially the more lay listenership, how does someone take that to market and value it and have confidence about what it's worth? It really came down to a numbers game for that one. It was unbelievable, over 3,000 square metre land holding in the middle of the CBD. So a big part of that value came into it being a land-rich asset, which means basically your land holding would become a big part of the value of the asset. Um, Rather than it just being the rent. 
Yeah, rather than just, let's say you could have a very small block of about 500 square metres with a big tower on it or you can have a larger block and it's kind of future-proofing because you could redevelop it in future or you could add value. Part of the site could have extra development which wasn't already built out so there was an opportunity there for future. You know, if there was a hotel group that were looking around and really wanted to be core CBD around all the premium grade tenants, then there was developable portion of that land that could be added to and you could unlock more value in the property. When it comes to the value attributed to the rent, what yep. sort of cap rates? With the rental income from the full building there, there was about a 16,000 square metre building on top of that property and that already had a lot of end-of-trip facilities had already been done. There was a combination of retail, hospitality and office that helps to provide amenity for those office tenants. The offices were all quite well leased. It was about 70% occupied and then there was an income in place which we then capitalised that. The cap rate ended up being in the mid-sevens for that property. That was at a time when interest rates had started to climb but for that buyer specifically they weren't as worried about the interest rate. Well, they probably saw value at that, obviously. Yeah, absolutely, because they knew that they were going to add value as well. They knew that they were going to try and push those rents. So the the sale price was 102 million. Uh, Just a tidy 102 mil. It was a good property to work on. It was exciting. We spent a lot of time over on the east coast as well because you get a lot more buyers in that price bracket from the east coast. Certainly, an exciting campaign. We really enjoyed it. So that was a year ago. Do you think you'd be getting the same price today, given where rates have gone? Surely there is a a nexus, a correlation between, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's questionable at all, between where interest rates are, where they're expecting them to go, and what we're expecting to get as a yield for the assets we're selling. Yeah, since the interest rate hikes, we've definitely seen cap rates increase a bit. So a fair bit of softening on the different assets that have Have they been one-to-one or, or not, as, not as sharp? We've probably seen about 50 to 100 basis point increase in cap rates in the per CBD, maybe on the higher end of that, to be honest, mm. at the moment. But comparing that to 400 basis points in interest rates, it's interesting how that correlates or doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in the Perth market, it is difficult, to be honest, there have been a few failed campaigns this year where it's hard to get people excited about offices, especially when vacancy is increasing on the East Coast. We haven't had that. It's hard to tell the Perth story and let people know, look, our, our market is actually going really well. The leasing demand's been really strong. We're getting that absorption across the board for CBD office in all different grade buildings. It is difficult to get over to Sydney and Melbourne and say to people, look, you've really got to invest in Perth our market is improving we're getting rental growth our incentives are coming down because they're not seeing that on the east coast nor worldwide where some offices have taken a 30 40 50 percent hit on their valuation since covid mm. in the us and uk markets not even you think in australia you think about those large ones like charter hall for example massive write downs in that space as well yeah the institutions have had a bit of a difficult time in the office space recently and there has been some write downs in valuations but some of them have held according to the book values but it's just hard to get capital excited about the product and well, it's always competing with other product isn't it yeah whereas industrial we might still have buyers around that six and a half percent in office, it's definitely creeping up to around the 8% mark at the moment. Let's segue just down the road from London House into another really notable sale you've made over the last few months, and that's the Army Surplus location, which seems like, I guess, it was mothballed for a couple of years. And for everyone listening who isn't super aware of it, it's on Wellington Street, 
across the road from the Wire Hostel, the City of Perth parking. Yeah, City of Perth parking. So it's on the corner of Wellington and Pier. And it used to be the Army Surplus store. And everyone back in the day really knew it as this sort of go-to spot. Yeah, Army needs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It had quite prominence, actually. A student accommodation DA had been attained for the site. And then works had commenced by a group called Blue Sky, who then went into administration and it was bought as a part of a portfolio by SCAPE, who are a student accommodation group out of Sydney. When you think about the switch accommodation that came up in the last couple of years, that thing is full, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely full. So there's three purpose-built student accommodation buildings in the Perth CBD. One of them is the switch, then you've also got campus and boulevard. One of them is GSA, the boulevard, and then Gore Capital Own Campus. So all three of them came on. It's a market that has since seen really tight supply. So I think there's less than 0.1% supply of vacancy in the student accommodation space in all of WA. And that's obviously going to get tighter, obviously, with ECU campus coming on too, right? Yeah, so ECU are looking to add about 10,000 students to the Perth CBD in the next couple of years. And we already don't have anywhere to house students. So universities are reaching out saying... We need to deliver this straight away. And it's like, we just can't do that at the moment, especially with construction, the construction climate as it sits. Mm. So the demand for the army surplus site, as we call it, was really strong because it had a 30-level DA in place, 713 beds of student accommodation, and someone could get straight into the ground and get started because it had already been substantially commenced. Mm. So the end buyer was Australian Unity out of Melbourne. And they ended up partnering with Serona Urban. That's a super fund. Yeah, so they're yeah, exactly backed by super funds and they're working with sort of their opco propco where they're buying into properties developing and then operating as well. This one specifically is gonna be operated by Unilodge and they've partnered as well with MaxCat Group. So there's a number of groups that have come in to it's get that money. deal off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a bit about a hundred and ten million dollar build, I think. Sounds and like a, the sort of money that the rest of the market would like to have seen go in to build to rent, but it seems like and I would agree that especially in the Perth market right now, the student accommodation space is actually a better offering for that sort of money. Why would you not go into the student student accommodation space right now in Perth? When it's such tight vacancy, we're seeing rental growth across student accommodation. So yes, there's there's a great market for it at the moment. I think that's where they were really keen to get involved because they knew that nothing else was going to be delivered quicker than this project. And by the time it comes on, ECU will be hopefully up and running as well. And it'll create a lot more demand for that product as well. So I think we'll continue to see rental growth across student accommodation as we're seeing across all residential in WA and other states. So how much did that go for? That one was $10 million price, um, which was a land rate of about 7,130-odd per square metre, which is quite high for that Wellington Street strip. Well, it's a bit of a daft, that area, up till now. I'm hoping that that development really cleans that corner up in WA and people are more comfortable walking down the street there. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of a push behind that Perth Historic Heart Precinct and hopefully this adds to that gentrification of that whole area, just provides some activity. A lot more people are walking past the street. I think City of Perth have got a car park nearby. They're also running a retail leasing program on the bottom floor of that so there'll be a lot more street activation GDI are planning a development across the road as well so hopefully it means that that area does scrub up a bit because when I was running the campaign there was some pretty tragic news around the precinct that really didn't help from the buy side. Yeah having grown up around that space 
as well. It was always a, a little bit of a dodgier part of Perth, so it really does need a clean up. And hopefully, this is the catalyst. More yeah. people mean, and just I think a it's perfect spot. for it. Having students there, I think you know, it's like Melbourne when you mm. go to that northern precinct to Melbourne and you see so much activity. There's so many retailers that are thriving off that student city. Mm. I'm excited that Perth's going to have that as well. It's not your only development opportunity you've put to market in the last couple of years. Where do you see the most demand? I guess in those development properties you're selling? Yeah, it's an interesting space at the moment, mainly because of the construction cost climate. Obviously, we've got this housing crisis and we desperately need development. It's a conundrum, but, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a conundrum. It's, it's not often that you see a space where the demand for a product is so rampant. We, well, we've never seen it so rampant in West Australia statistically, but then a market that can't actually deliver product for the demand. You know, yep. Normally, you'll find where there is demand, there will always just be bang supplier, but it's an awkward space right now because despite the fact there is so much demand... Nothing stacks up. Well, yeah, <laughs> and it only doesn't stack up simply because either the affordability or just the price tolerance from that demand hasn't caught up with the sharp rises in the cost of delivering the supply yeah. Uh, to service that demand. And for me, it, it can only be a matter of time, really, because the basic need of shelter is not going to be the thing that buckles. It'll be what people will pay for that shelter that will go first. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's where residential, you know, there's a lot of interest in, in that space. And we're starting to see more of a driver for build to rent because build to sell is hard to stack up. Builders don't really want to take on the work. They're all having to deal with residents who are buying into those units. So with we're no fine. confidence that a construction will even start. In the first yeah, place. exactly. So it's so hard for them to commit. And then the builder has to deal with someone who wants a different color stone or something along the way. So I think that that build to rent model is that cookie cutter. You're just sort of able to put buildings up and deliver that product. Hopefully, it's something that we start to see more of. Obviously, there's a lot more intricacy into the feasibility of it. Mm. But I think it would be a really good outcome for our state to have build to rent. And there are a lot of sites that can need density of potentially, you know, 500 units, which Mm. there's not a lot of properties around Perth that can handle that. I assume you have a lot of properties, though, that are either sitting there from clients you've sold to or sitting there with clients you could sell for that are just in incubation mode right now? Across the board, it's not necessarily the right time to sell because of the interest rate climate. So some will, for example, they want to sell regardless. They've got the tenant in place for a long time or it's a development site that they're paying high outgoings on and they don't want to hold. But there's a lot of opportunities around off-market. There's a lot of sellers that are interested to sell, but it might not be the right time to market, but they Mm. will definitely do a deal. So there are opportunities around that we're working with and trying to sort marry them up to the right buyers and i think that's an awkward reality looking at the numbers myself forecasting from my own experience i genuinely don't see much of a path at the moment in the apartment space there is a lot of intent but i don't see the numbers stacking up even next year for most projects and that's just a sad reality of so many really cool sites with da's ascribed to them applications sitting there ready to lodge wherever they're at with it and clearly demand for housing we're missing that nexus at the moment between the demand for housing and the demand for the type of housing that the market really needs to start delivering yeah and of course seeing the population growth that we're seeing across wa it's an exciting time for our state it's just sad to think that we can't actually house people and bring people in that will help with our economic growth i just think it's gonna be a mixed opportunity it's gonna be another cycle of of the urban expansion of land development and with those key development sites, especially those ones that you sell in some of the highest amenity areas in Perth, that's where people should be wanting to live, I think. And I think it's a, it's a cultural shift that maybe we're not at this cycle. It might be the next cycle that they, we start to see them happening. In the same way, 
that we only saw, you know, Brisbane moving 10, 15 years ago in that space as well. Even recently, I had a property under contract in Northbridge. It was set to be build to rent of scale, which I think is really exciting. And then they couldn't get the comfort with planning. Yeah. So there's always something <laughs> Don't that's get started on planning, Tori. <laughs> that's every second episode on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Last question before we go. Any insider knowledge into some of those properties, assets that you're going to start bringing to market soon? Yeah, so we've had a few that are coming up that I think are quite exciting. I think one of the things we've been looking at recently is really focusing on properties with really good land holdings so they've got future development potential but they've got income in place good tenants there so someone can enjoy that return and then have that flexibility for future exit strategies for development we've just put one on the market in Subiaco on Hay Street which I think is a really exciting little property medical so pharmacy tenant and then a couple of offices I really like that product because there is that future potential of a good land holding you're able to get that return on it as well and then we've got a few more like that as well that are maybe suburban office strong tenants high yielding future development potential like you really your land is a big part and that's kind of such a big driver sounds like a theme from this chat today is that that land component is also something to be valued yeah absolutely i think that's the best way because then it's not just a depreciating asset i think it's the best way to find really strong value because you've got that land holding that's in a good location it's got future potential and it might be repositioned for something else there's a building i'm working with off market for example that is right next to a big shopping center in wa and it's an unbelievable land holding you know it's almost a hectare of land but then there's an office building on it with good tenants in place like it really ticks so many boxes you could enjoy that income you could lease up more of the space you could reposition it to a different use like medical which often see tidy yields on on exit or you could just redevelop the whole land into over 300 apartments it's it is exciting to see a product that we think would really go well in the market and then we'll see what the the buyer profile is like for that well i think that's a good lesson for everyone leaving this episode today is that whether it's commercial property or residential or industrial you often want to make sure the assets you hold have a plan b have a diversification of higher and better uses so that you're not just putting all your eggs into one strategy on that property especially as uh, not only we move through different cycles but as over the time across long-term holdings demand for different types of assets changes and evolves over time and i think that's what we've been seeing really prominently since covid everything is kind of running different rates at the moment you know office isn't is a bit out of favor at the moment whereas industrial everyone loves medical everyone loves it's non-cyclical everyone will continue to require that product Mm. retail has struggled a bit since COVID as well, but everyone still wants to buy shopping centres. It's more CBD retail has has come off a bit. So it's interesting seeing all asset classes doing different things. And I think that's why I think it's great to have an investment with those exit strategies to be able to pivot the use depending on what the market's doing. Tori Packer, Signet West, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for the chat today. Thanks for sharing your story. And I'm sure we'll have you in again soon. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!